right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, we just thank you for uh, once again the opportunity to come together to worship you, to study your word. God, just what a what a privilege it is, and uh, God, what a what a privilege it is that we have uh, the record of the life of Christ, and we get to see his uh, his great work, his his miracles, his teaching, his interaction with the the people around him. And God, it's, it is us getting to see uh, you interacting with your creatures. And uh, God, it's just very instructive and. I pray that uh, as we continue to study through the life of Christ, that you would just cause our, our love for Christ to grow and um, our wisdom to increase. And uh, God, that we would be more able uh, to live in the way that you have called us to live. But pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're continuing our study on the uh, on the life of Jesus. Um Last week we ended with uh, Jesus ministering in Judea. Um, John the Baptist was uh, still preaching as well, uh, but Jesus' ministry was overshadowing his. So that's that's basically where we left off, and we're going to pick that up. And again, we're not going to hit everything, but we're going to be jumping around between the the four Gospels and... um, giving kind of an overview of the events of Jesus' life. So in John 4, um, first three verses, it uh, says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And then also in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So there we have um, two uh, different statements about Jesus going to Galilee. Um, how should we interpret these two different statements? Do they Are they contradictory? Are they complementary? What... What do we get there? Do I need to give references or reread them? Uh, what was the second reference again? The second reference was Matthew 4.12. First reference was John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So both of them tell that Jesus is leaving Judea and heading to Galilee. They give slightly different explanations for this. What was the first reference again? The first reference? Yeah. John chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3. Bet you it's hard for people doing it digitally. (laughs) Unless you can bring it up in parallel. To me, it sounds like it's two different times. You think so? I mean, it's... One is... 
One is the Pharisees hearing about Jesus uh, having more disciples, and the other is Jesus finding out that John had just been arrested. So to me, it seems like it's two different points in time. It is, I mean, he went, he, he traveled mm-hmm. all around there several times. That, that is that is true. So I mean, I will I will certainly grant that's a possibility because it is. We don't have like an infallible definition of the chronology of the events of Jesus's life. Um, so it is, it's conceivable that these are two different instances of Jesus uh, leaving Judea and going into Galilee. I think traditionally it's been understood that these are both referring to the same period of time. Okay. Um, does it does it cause a problem if we consider these to be um, the same the same period of time? Uh, referring, you know, both of them referring to the same leaving Judea and going into Galilee. I have to look at the map again to see where Nazareth is in in relation to Judea. Um, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, no, didn't, didn't. Didn't mean to pose a, a, such a difficult question. Um, I mean, I think just like from my looking at it, what's what's going on is you know these these are just two different things that were a motivation for Jesus. Um, it's basically you have the situation where John gets arrested. Both of them are ministering in the same general area, and John gets arrested. Uh, but Jesus is starting to get an even bigger following than John was, and the Pharisees are aware of this. Um, and so, again, like things are starting to kind of point towards him. It's like, okay, well, we dealt with John, but like this this guy is becoming an even bigger problem. And so Jesus, realizing, okay, John's been arrested, and now like attention is really focusing on me. Um, Jesus knew what the plan was for his life and he knew that one day he would have to be arrested uh, but he knew that that wasn't the, the present time that, that the father had planned for uh, many things to happen before he actually came to the, to the point of being arrested and confronting the, the Jewish leaders and so he at that point withdrew uh, to Galilee because if he had stayed then he probably would have been uh, arrested. So I think that's okay. that's uh, the best way to look at that. But it, again, like like you said, Mark, it is it is possible that it's referring to two different events. Um, now um, from there um, he went to he went to or he went to um, to Galilee and he went through Samaria. Um, now, most people uh, actually went through Samaria on the way uh, in between Galilee and Judea. Um, I, this is actually something that I wasn't really aware of because people will often point out the fact that sometimes people would cross the Jordan um, in order to avoid going through Samaria. And so they would just you know, cross over and go north or south 
on the east side of the Jordan and then cross back over. Um, but uh, apparently that was not something that was commonly done. It was just people who were very concerned about going through Samaria. Most people would just like quickly go through Samaria and just deal with it. So I thought that was something interesting that I wasn't aware of before I was studying this. Um, but uh, John chapter 4, verses 4 and following, I'm, I'm just going to stop at verse 10, but the story goes on. Um, uh, and he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to the town of uh, to a town of Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, uh, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I'm assuming most of you are uh, familiar with this story. It's, a, it's just a, a very well-known story. You've probably heard a number of sermons preached on it. Um, just as we as we kind of hit this as a, as a highlight of what's going on in Jesus' life and ministry, um, what are some notice, notable things about this incident? You know what I mean? It continues on for several verses. Uh, one, the fact that they stopped in Samaria, mm-hmm. um, and then it, it's uh, it's very clearly pointed out that Jesus addressing the Samaritan woman was not a common right. thing. Yeah, yeah, she was not expecting that at all, was she? No, it's like, why wow, you're you're a Jew and you're talking to me? So yeah, yeah, the the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was was obviously very poor. Um, they were. They were viewed as half-breeds, as not being faithful uh, to uh, to the God of Israel. Anything else? try to push the conversation in any particular direction? Well, it's toward salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, right. He's using almost metaphors through this, but he is trying to push it toward salvation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like he's, he's just right up, right up front. It's like talking about, you know, living water. And she's like, oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds good. Give me some of that, you know. And she doesn't realize that he's pushing things in a spiritual direction. Um, but he is, you know, and eventually, like, she's like, she tries to, like, change the topic and make it go into, it's like, oh, well, you Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem and we worship here. And, you know, she's, like, bringing up the debate. But, you know, he basically tells her uh, in the end that he is Christ. Because she says, oh, yeah, one day Christ is going to come and explain all this. And, He's like, yep, yeah, that's me. Um, so he 
basically brings it around to salvation. It's a it's a really good study, but again, we don't have a whole lot of time to to spend on it. Um, then at the at the end of the passage, um, in beginning in verse 39, uh, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Uh, and after two days, he departed for Galilee. So there, obviously, Jesus' teaching expanded not just to the Samaritan woman, but to the people of uh, of this city in Samaria. I mean, I'm sure the disciples were just like, what's going on? Aren't we just supposed to be getting through here as quickly as possible? Um, but, you know, Jesus saw it as an opportunity to um, to witness to the Samaritans. Um What's the what's the significance of them calling Jesus the Savior of the world? Is that just it's like oh well, you're the Savior? Is there any particular significance to that? Well, this is not just the Jews. I'm sorry. Not just not just Savior of the Jews or right. Not savior of everyone. Yeah. Yeah, he is not just the same. I mean, it's like just the very fact that he's bringing the good news to the Samaritans. It's just, it's just highlights that, you know. And he says in his conversation with the woman, you know, that salvation is from the Jews, but clearly it's not from the Jews to the Jews. It's from the Jews to the world. And the Samaritans, I think, realize that that like this is he's the savior of the world. This this is not just a a Jewish centric guy. Um, but he is the savior of the world. So he continues on. Uh, they go on to um, to Galilee. Um, Luke chapter 4 verse 14 says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So, you know, he's got it. He's already has a reputation um, from when he was teaching in Judea, and now he's uh, he's come to Galilee, and people are already kind of aware of him. And there, you know, the story begins to spread uh, across Galilee that he's here and that he's teaching, and he goes around and he teaches in the different synagogues. Um, this is also where he um, starts calling his disciples to himself. Uh, Matthew chapter four. Uh, verses 18 through 22. Uh, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat uh, and their father and followed him. So is this the first time that uh, that these men have encountered Jesus? No. I mean, we, last week when we discussed it, mm-hmm. we, there, this uh, 
they had already met Jesus and um, believe it wasn't Peter that had already said you are the Christ I don't think Peter did at that point I don't um, know that was but I, I don't remember which one it was but one of them did refer yes, to him as yeah. the Christ so yes but but Peter and John uh, specifically and I think Andrew were were all specifically listed as um, as people that had met Jesus um, unfortunately I've, I've seen some people who like come to this Matthew passage and just kind of think that like Jesus is just randomly walking by the sea and he sees these guys out there who have no idea who he is and he's like hey come follow me and they just like drop everything and follow him without any you know knowledge of who he is but uh, if we you know put all of the gospel accounts together um, we see that, uh, that this wasn't their first experience with Jesus um, so uh, what does Jesus mean when he says that he's going to make them fishers of men? The whole, uh, later on in the Gospels, he talks about how the harvest is mm-hmm. see that the workers are few. There's people to be brought into the kingdom. Right, right. So yeah, he's he's talking about bringing people into the kingdom. And they've, they've been having their career, you know, going out to the sea and collecting fish, and they're going to be going out and collecting men for the kingdom of God. Now, even at this point, uh, they don't completely abandon their profession um, of uh, fishing. Um, We see another incident uh, recorded in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, uh, but the fishermen had gone uh, out of them and were washing their nets. Uh, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, uh, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, that they had taken. And so also were James and John, uh, sons of Zebedee, who were, the, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And then when they had brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So here, you know, again, we see, you know, these guys out here fishing, and Jesus is, Jesus is with them this time. Um, and while they're cleaning their nets, um, he uses uh, Peter's boat to, as a preaching platform so that he can uh, not just be crowded by the people. And then, of course, he miraculously causes them to catch a whole bunch of fish. Um, now, why do you think Peter reacts the way he does when they have this big catch of fish? As a fisherman, he knows what is normal. He uh-huh. knows what is expected. Right. And... Uh, 
this is not typically seen, or maybe even ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's clearly seen something miraculous. He knows something's going on here. And, and for Jews, that's tied to uh, prophets in their tradition doing these great works, men of God. And so that's specifically why he says, I'm unclean, you can't be around me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he sees his own unworthiness to be before Jesus. Um, what's the uh, what's the conclusion of the incident? <clears throat> these fishermen do? From the end, we leave everything that follows him. Yeah. Yeah, at this point, they're just like, okay, we're just following you now. Um, we're, we're giving up on this fishing thing. Um, and I don't think you really see them fishing, uh, at least not much, until, you know, the very end of the story. So, uh, at this point, they're, they're basically just full-time following Jesus. Another incident that we have during this period of Jesus' ministry, uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, which is there on the Sea of Galilee, um, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Uh, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Uh, and they were all amazed, uh, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him? And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So, here we have, you know, an incident where Jesus is is teaching, he's performing a miracle, he's casting out demons. Um, And there's a comparison made by the people between Jesus and the scribes. What do you what do you make of that comparison? What's going on there? Well, the comparison it was he speaks with authority, unlike the scribes. Mm-hmm. And I say he spoke with an authority that came from God, mm-hmm. clearly. And Unfortunately, I don't know much about the scribes, but to me that says it's almost like the scribes just will read what's there mm-hmm. and leave it up to someone's own interpretation, whereas Jesus would speak with the authority to lead them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the scribes, uh, they were largely dependent on just like the teachings of other people in the past. I mean, in a sense, it's very much like the teaching you get in the church today. It's, you know, it's like, yeah, we're looking at commentaries and, you know, and things that godly men have said in the past. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, we think this is what this means. Um, But Jesus didn't teach that way. 
Um, Jesus didn't have to say, well, you know, I've been studying, you know, the book of Isaiah, and I, I think this is probably what it means based on my study. Um, Jesus could basically say, this is what God said. This is what this means. Um, you guys are familiar with the, you know, the incident, the incident where Jesus was teaching and read from, you know, Isaiah, and he said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. You know, it's like he knew exactly what it was. It wasn't something where it's like, oh, I think this might be talking about, you know, what's going on now. It's like, no, Jesus spoke with authority. Um, and that's because Jesus is God. He knows the mind of God. He correctly interprets the scripture. So it's definitely a very different thing than they were used to. And they were realizing this is not, this is not an ordinary guy. Um, how does the unclean spirit react to Jesus? Well, first of all, he recognized him. Mm-hmm. He recognized him. He knew who he was. Yeah. Oh, and and he also recognized his authority. Mm-hmm. You know, because he says, "Have you come to destroy us?" So he he understood that his authority and power was great. Yes. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um. And what does this? What does Jesus tell the spirit to do? Be silent and come out. Mm-hmm. Be silent and come out. Yeah. All right. And then what's the what's the result? What's what's the result of this incident? Jesus has cast out this demon. He's been teaching with authority. He amazes the people. I mean, they're they're wait. We're, we're seeing someone who's speaking with authority. He, he even has authority over what they recognize to be an unclean spirit. It's uh, it's something they hadn't seen mm-hmm. ever in their lifetime. There hasn't hadn't been a prophet in 400 years. This was amazing and mm-hmm. new. And mm-hmm. yeah, so they're definitely amazed. Specifically, it says the fame spreads throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is. I think what you're pointing out is that as we go on, we're going to see its fame spreading further and further. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, this news is just going everywhere. I mean, you know, Facebook and Twitter are just lighting up. You know, there's there's this this <laughs> this this amazing guy who's who's teaching, who has power, who has authority. So big things are happening. Um, continuing on, uh, Mark chapter one beginning in verse 29. Uh, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew uh, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. She began to serve them. Uh, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So here we see, you know, again, Jesus, he goes and he heals uh, Simon's mother-in-law. And then, like, people start showing up. And they're like, hey, we need healing. We need demons cast out. So what's what's beginning to happen? Well, people aren't, okay. Okay. Honestly, people aren't just 
hearing about the thing, or anything, but they're actually you know, putting stock in it and believing it and acting on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so people are just like, they're just starting to, to flock to Jesus, right? Um, and he's, you know, he's healing them. He's, you know, it's not just like, oh, yeah, you said that guy could heal us, and, you know, we showed up, nothing happened. It's like, he's, he's making good on it. Um, but and I'm maybe completely wrong, but I've always seen the, the last verse of this where it's, and the last verse, the last section we were talking about, where he talks about he did not permit the demons to speak because he knew that he was not ready to proclaim himself as the Christ. Mm-hmm. And so at this point in time, he's essentially just showing himself to be a prophet to the people mm-hmm. and not allowing the demons to confirm who he is mm-hmm. to the people. Right, yeah. Yeah, that, in fact, that was going to be my next question was about that. So, um, but uh, but yeah, it's like once again we see the demons; they know who he is. Um, but he's at this point in his ministry, he's not ready to have it shouted abroad who he actually is. Um, and so he's he's not permitting them to speak. Um, yeah, but his popularity is certainly growing. Um, Another incident that happened, uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 12. Uh, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Uh, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So what what does Jesus tell this leper that he heals? What does he tell him to do? Confirms the law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You go and do what Moses commanded. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this whole process for figuring out if the disease is actually left and he's clean and mm-hmm. come back. Yeah. Partaking in temple worship. Yep. Well, and also telling no one is, uh, according to Mosaic law, Jesus would have been unclean by touching the leper. I hadn't thought of that. But, he, but yet he isn't. No, but right. yet he yeah. isn't. It's one of the beautiful pictures of the gospel, actually. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, but Jesus clearly is like once again he's saying like, hey, don't don't spread this around, though, right? And he's like, don't don't go tell people. What is what happens though? <laughs> Everybody knows. Everybody knows. <laughs> Everybody knows. Um. So what's, uh, I mean, you know, and the result is, you know, it's like, again, just like, it's just like, this is just kind of like a growing thing as we go through this section of, of the Gospels. It's just like more and more people are hearing, more and more people are coming. Um, what is, what, what problem does this cause for Jesus? He's become too popular. He, he, he has to, in order to meditate, not meditate, in order to be alone to pray, mm-hmm. he has to leap. He has to go to desolate places. Right. Yeah. He's really got to like 
work to find some private place to go and pray. So definitely, uh, definitely lots of popularity here. Then Matthew uh, chapter 4, uh, verse, beginning verse 23. Um, this is kind of just, in a sense, a summary statement of like everything that we're seeing here. Uh, beginning in verse 23, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout Uh, all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So how, how was Jesus received in Galilee? I said he was received well. Yeah, he was received very, very well. Um, yeah, and it's like this is—it's it's not just Galilee that's coming. It's like people coming from everywhere, beyond the Jordan. Yeah, beyond the Jordan. Yeah. Now, as we proceed, we will see that not everybody was pleased with Jesus. So we see a little bit of a shift here, but again, we still see Jesus doing the things that he was doing. Uh, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So what do you think of the way that the scribes viewed Jesus' words? Jesus' first reaction wasn't to heal the guy, but to say, your sins are forgiven. And then the scribes have a reaction. So what what do we what do we think of that? Their action of blasphemy and mm-hmm. only God can say or do such a thing. Mm-hmm. And I say it was very clear that at most they viewed him as a prophet, but mm-hmm. not 
as the Christ. Right. Yeah. So they they did not fully understand who he was. What else can we make out of what they were thinking? I don't know if it's clear in this passage, but from what it becomes clear further you go in, they, they want to hold on to their own authority and power mm-hmm. that they have. Right. You know, right. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know that you you can derive that from this passage, but that's something that definitely will come up. Um, this is this is early enough that I think like they're just kind of beginning to to realize, you know, it's like, this guy is not talking the way that we think is appropriate. Um, was was everything that they were thinking wrong, or was some of it wrong and some of it right? Well, um, you know, they were thinking he forgives sins, right? Uh-huh. And, um, you know, only God can do that. So he's, he's claiming I mean, his claim is quite, uh-huh. you know, it's, yeah, for, for a Pharisee, you know, for a man to say, I'm God, uh-huh. that just, yeah, that's just, you don't have any way to process that other than to be angry because that's blasphemous against God. And right, stuff, so. right. Yeah, so they, they were they were correct that, like, no mere man can forgive sins, that yeah. only God can do that. But their problem was that they, they just just jump right to the conclusion, well, this guy has to be blaspheming because he's not God. Right. Um, how did Jesus respond to them? He shows his authority. Ultimately we Sorry? He shows his authority. Ultimately we he has authority to say to this man, rise up and walk, and therefore he has the authority to forgive sins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Is that he demonstrates his authority because he said, "Your sins are forgiven," and yeah, I mean anybody can just get up and say, "Your sins are forgiven," and not really have the authority to do it. Um, but it's a lot harder to say, "Rise up and walk" if you're a paralytic. Um, but Jesus can do, he can do that. So he's demonstrating that it's like. That other thing I just said, where I said your sins are forgiven, that that actually happened too. Um, so yeah, Jesus demonstrates His authority. But you, but again, we we see some tension start to develop here. They're like, this is this is not this is not really our guy. Um, another incident happens, and this is also uh, the calling of another disciple, uh, Matthew. Um, and oddly enough, I didn't get the chapter in my notes. But this is the calling of Matthew. Chapter 9, verse 9. Chapter 9, verse 9, thank you. Yes, Matthew, chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So there we see Matthew being called as a disciple. Uh, and then going on, and Jesus reclined at table in uh, at the at, yeah, a table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, 
why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, uh, those who are well have no need of a visit of no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. <clears throat> so how is this um, similar to the, the calling of James, John, Andrew, and Simon? Followed him when he said, "Follow me." I'm sorry. He followed him when he said, "Follow me." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He says, "Follow me." What? What was? What was Matthew doing? He called, he called them while they were about their work. Yeah. Called them while they were about their work. Yeah. So Jesus just like interrupts people's, you know, their plans and says, "Hey, follow me." Um, and uh, I mean. And in the in the case of, of those whom God has truly chosen, they will do it. Um, why did the Pharisees react the way they did when Jesus was then hanging out with Matthew and his friends? I mean, they were not. They were like, "What's your what's your teacher doing? He's eating with tax collectors and sinners." Tax, tax collectors were kind of seen as traitors. I'm sorry. Tax collectors were seen as traitors because mm-hmm. they were working for Rome. Yeah, tax collectors were seen as traitors because they were working for Rome. Yeah. And the Pharisees are taking, you know, sin seriously in some way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, they're like, you know, we're not supposed to be contaminated by this world, so yeah. when we stay away from them, why aren't you staying away from them? Yeah, that's exactly right. If you guys remember um, when we kind of went over the different groups uh, that Jesus interacts with, uh, the Pharisees were like very concerned about holiness. Um, unfortunately, many of them were very concerned about it just from an external perspective. Um, but they saw this as you basically you're mixing with sin. This is how can you how can you be holy? How can you stay holy if you go hang around people who clearly are not holy? These these tax collectors, these traitors, uh, just sinners. These these are people that you shouldn't be. Um, you shouldn't be hanging around. Um, what what should we make of Jesus' response? It's basically if if you are not around sinners, if you are not around people, uh, you cannot. They cannot be saved. If, if, okay. if you're not around people who need a doctor, mm-hmm. using his words, needing a physician, they cannot be better. They right. cannot be healed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times people like they will treat. I mean, this is like a problem in our own day. People will treat Christianity as like. Okay, here's this set of rules, and I'm special because I follow this set of rules, and I, you know, disdain all you people out there because you don't follow that set of rules. And to a large degree, that's kind of the way the Pharisees had taken things. Um, whereas Jesus is viewing it much more from the perspective of these people need a savior, they need rescuing, and I'm willing to go 
and be where they are and rescue them. Did you have something? Well, and, and he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, which is pointing to the Pharisees' own need of a savior too, because they have to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, they are not holy, they're not perfect. They need something to atone for their sin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a sense, you look at it, and it's almost like Jesus is saying, "You're healthy," but really, like <clears throat> Jesus, you know, Jesus viewed all of them as sick and you know, and needing a physician, as it were. There was also some controversies that popped up concerning the Sabbath. Um, we're going to look at a couple of those. Uh, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. Uh, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made uh, their way, the disciple, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So why were the Pharisees upset about the disciples' actions? And again, they, they, their view of external holiness, mm-hmm. um, they, they had taken the laws of keeping the Sabbath holy and broken that out so far mm-hmm. that little minutiae things were considered breaking the Sabbath. Right. And Jesus was saying, oh, the Sabbath is is for man. It is it is designed for man to rest and worship God, mm-hmm. not to worry about following the rules to not get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they, they just had a complete misunderstanding of the Sabbath, and they turned it into, it's like, oh, here's this list of things we need to make sure. Rather than understanding that, like, God gave the Sabbath to man for the good of man, not to be a burden to man. Um, and uh, so yeah um, I kind of like knocked out your, your, it's a really good answer because you just knocked out some of my questions so um, but uh, let's see um, uh, what does it mean that the, uh, that the son of man is lord of the sabbath something that Jesus says here what does that mean Does it mean uh, this? This is something I've heard. I've heard people say. Um, basically, it's like I have the authority to to change the Sabbath, to change the way it works. So I've just decided it doesn't work the way that it used to. <clears throat> it, it would really be more of a sense of he created the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. He's the one that gave it to us. I mean, the problem with the view that you just stated is, mm-hmm. it's like God is like, well, that's made a mistake. Let me. Right. Again, you know, let's let's do this differently now. Right. And that goes against what other scriptures say about the character of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's exactly right. But yeah, it is very much the idea. It's like, look, I, I'm the one who <laughs> created the Sabbath. Um, 
So let me tell you the way it's actually intended to be used. So um, that's one thing that's, uh, you know, that comes up a lot of times with just just to to talk about that idea. That's something that comes up with like the, the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is going through and saying, uh, you have heard it said, but I say to you, is a lot of times people will look at that and say, oh, well, Jesus is, is basically he's overwriting, you know, the the old covenant law. Um, but the reality is, is like he's the one who's saying, uh, look, you guys have misinterpreted it. It's my law. Let me tell you what I what I intended when I gave that to Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, so that's definitely the way we need to understand Jesus's authority in these instances. Definitely very important. Now, do you think that the, the Pharisees accepted his answer? No. No. Now, as we as we continue, we will see that um, Matthew chapter twelve, uh, beginning in verse nine, uh, it says he went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, "Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath?" So here it's against the Pharisees that are coming to him, and they're they're asking him, "Is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath?" So that they might accuse him, and he said to them, "Which one of you?" Uh, who has a sheep and falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So once again... Controversy on the Sabbath. Uh, what was the what was the Pharisees' motivation for asking their question? That they might accuse him. Yeah. But you can but definitely see an escalation through the last four things. I'm sorry. You can definitely see an escalation through the last four things where they've been interacting with him. Yeah. Where it, it you know before it seemed like they were just like, like what's going on? They're just uh-huh. asking questions. But I think this it seems like the Sabbath thing before this really hit a nerve where he's he's pushing back against their traditions. And uh-huh. people are like, wait, we gotta get this guy on something. Yeah. Yeah, they're 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 going in a sense, I think you're you're right. They're going from like, wait, what's this guy saying? To we we need to find a way to get rid of this guy. And so they're trying to trap him. They're trying to find a way to accuse him. So they're they're basically trying to set him up. Um, how does uh, how does Jesus show them their error? Well, he uses an illustration from their own life mm-hmm. of how they contradict what they're proposing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he just he just reasons it out, right? It's like, look, you you understand that the Sabbath wasn't intended to keep you from rescuing your sheep. So, how, how is it that you're applying it to this, you know, this poor guy who needs healing? Um, is there another way that he proves their error? He heals the guy, doesn't he? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's it's like. We're not just talking about doing something good here. It's like, I actually have the power to do this. And, you know, where does that power come from? Power comes from God, right? 
So basically he's showing that God has given him authority to heal even on the Sabbath um, and that they are in error um, in their uh, accusations against Jesus as, as a Sabbath breaker. So how did they respond this time? The response was, well, that didn't work. Let's try again. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's specifically, they want to destroy him. It's not just accusing him. They don't want to just trap him in his words. They, they want to destroy him. Yeah. Whether that's uh, what all that means, I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. But the, clearly, it's like, okay, we've, we've got to bring this guy down. We've, we've got to get him out of the way. Um, that's, uh, that's kind of the way things you know, escalate here. Um, so just in conclusion, I mean, we see that Jesus is traveling around Judea. He's he's teaching, he's healing, he's casting out demons. People are flocking to him, not just from Galilee, but from surrounding regions. Uh, he's selecting individuals to follow him. Um, and at the same time, the scribes and Pharisees are becoming increasingly hostile towards him. Uh, he does not follow their notions of holiness. He makes statements that no mere man should make. Uh, they are convinced that his popularity is a problem that needs to be stopped. <laughs> and Lord willing, that's where we're gonna we're gonna pick up next week. Is there any final questions or comments about anything we talked about this morning? I think what you were saying is it's that he he's demonstrating his authority what Mark was saying too in all these situations um, he can do these things that no one else can and it's there for everyone to see yet it's, it's hidden because he's causing his demons yeah. yeah he's he's definitely demonstrating his authority which is a part of the problem that the scribes and Pharisees are having it's not just somebody that's talking but he can he can back up his talk by performing miracles, and it's like people are going to believe him because of the miracles, and they they can't just say, oh, you shouldn't listen to him. He's you know he's saying bad things. It's like, well, you know, look at what he's doing. So definitely shaking things up. So all right, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just. Again, we thank you for the, the privilege that we have to, to study these things, to uh, learn about uh, just the, the great, uh, great power of Jesus and his, his work, his teaching, his wisdom in refuting those who are opposed to him, his compassion for those uh, who are lost and helpless. And, uh, God, I just pray that we would just continue to to grow in our love for Christ and that you would uh, by your Holy Spirit that you would conform us to his image uh, so that we would truly be pleasing to you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.